0: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Counterforce Podcast. I'm your host, Aug Stone, and I hope to be sharing with you some excellent music and art that I feel has been criminally overlooked. What we were just listening to was the title track from Martin Newell's The Greatest Living Englishman album, which turns 25 this year. And I just wrote a big feature for The Quietest about the making of that record, uh, so look out for that. It was one of the most enjoyable pieces I've written, actually. I had really great conversations with Martin, Andy Partridge from XDC, who produced the record and Kevin Crace, who released it on his Humbug Records. If you're a fan of Martin's, you'll know what an incredibly talented songwriter he is, and if you're just being introduced to him, I envy you. You've got lots of great songs to discover. To give you a brief overview of Martin's work, he was in the glam band The Plod in the 70s. Uh, He wrote the first book of his memoirs about this time called This Little Ziggy, and it really is a wonderful book. It really captures all the excitement and frustration of what it's like to be young and in a band. Uh, In the early 80s, Martin decided to be rid of the music industry altogether and then got a job washing dishes in a restaurant. On his days off, he and drummer Lal Elliott would record and then distribute their homemade cassettes as the cleaners from Venus. And they'd put out a tape a year, and by their third one, uh, 1982's Midnight Cleaners, they were really going strong. Uh, That's just a great record. Martin took his pop sensibilities to new heights there. And it just continued upwards after that. A few albums later, Living with Victoria Gray and Going to England would also be pop classics. In the late 80s, he and Nelson, who would go on to play bass in New Model Army, formed the Brotherhood of Lizards and released an album on Captain Sensible's Deltic label. The Brotherhood of Lizards were famous for doing a tour of England completely by bicycle. They were over by 1990, though, and here Newell would begin his long, successful poetry career. Today, he's England's most published living poet. So this takes us to the interview you're about to hear, where we discuss making his first solo album, The Greatest Living Englishman, with Andy Partridge, and also talking about what Martin's up to today. I'll be posting stuff to check out on the website, www.thecounterforce.net, songs and interviews and things like that, so do have a look there. And without further ado, here's my latest interview with Martin Newell. Hi, Martin.
1: Hello, and good evening, or good morning, or whatever time of day you're broadcasting, listeners. (laughs)
0: so the greatest living englishman will be 25 this year i want to talk to you about what was going on in your life going into making the record you just done the brotherhood of lizards
1: i Um, I think uh, no there was a good long gap i finished the brotherhood of lizards tour in the last one in in late february of 1990 Um, and we didn't start the greatest living englishman until three years later By which time I'd carved myself out a poetry career. That came out of the blue. I mean, one morning in 1992, Andy Partridge rang me up. uh, And I didn't know him. Uh, I'd never really been a huge XTC fan. What I really liked was the Dukes of Stratosphere. So I I was pretty surprised to get this call. And he wanted my second poetry book, which was called Under Milk Float and he said do you like XTC and I said I do quite yeah. and he said do you want to do a swap and you can send me the book and I'll send you none such it was they were doing at the time none such uh, and he phoned me quite early in the morning as well I, I did get on with him I knew I would he's a very similar creature to me uh, but it was it was Lowell firstly and Giles who were the big XTC fans and Lowell had given me XTC albums I thought I think I'd bought one prior to that I'd actually bought Mama. I thought that was a good album, although it's a bit of a a minority choice, I suppose. <laughs> I thought it was really special. Uh, what happened? The Greatest Living Englishman. This time, this time, twenty-five years ago. Is that where you want to know where I am? I was doing a poet. Uh, I just uh, we were a, a couple of weeks into The Greatest Living Englishman. Probably there'd been a few delays. We started in mid-January, and then round about this time, I had to go up to Middlesbrough, which is a uh, a former industrial town uh, in in the northeast of England, below Newcastle. It's kind of Newcastle's harder punk kid brother, if you like. To do a poets residency, and um, that's what I did. And I was doing that, and then I was going back to Swindon and going back to Essex. So it was Swindon, Essex. Hello, that's that like, <laughs> it was Swindon, e- e- Essex, um, Middlesbrough. You know all the kind of Gritty places in England, if you like. Uh, <laughs> and I was doing that, and built, and gradually, the the at the end of March, I think it was. Uh, I was uh, the Middlesbrough poets poets. Um, what do you call it? The Middlesbrough Poetry Residency, Langborough Borough Council, uh, came to an end, and I came back to get on with the album pretty much full time. And Andy and I got on very well. Uh, We're we're a similar kind of guys, you know, about the same age, small town boys, fairly dysfunctional, but jovial guys with a fairly immature uh, sense of humour. And we, I have to say, we got on like a house on fire.
0: Do you know how he came across your book of poetry in the first place? Uh,
1: No, actually. Um, Maybe... Mike Reed or or, or or Giles gave him a, a, a copy of the first one, I, Hank Marvin, which was just a little 16-page glossy pamphlet. But it had all the, you know, early rock resonances. You know, the poem about Hank Marvin, the poem about Deep Purple, the poem about Status Quo's fourth chord. I think he liked that. It was rhyming... It rhymed, it scanned. That's unusual in poetry nowadays. In fact, it's regarded as cheating to rhyme, scan, or be entertaining in any way. It's got to be serious, and it's still kind of like that. You know, I, I, I don't include myself in poetry, even though I'm still very published. You know, I don't, I don't have anything to do with many other poets. I know John Cooper Clarke really well, but he's, you know, kind of a very good friend of mine. And you know, I meet one or two other poets. Luke Wright, he's another famous poet but then John and I trained him we're his poetry mum and dad uh, and a few others but when I when I hear about poets and I hear them talking I, I generally just think oh right okay well get over that when you're an old guy come and talk to me
0: <laughs> So Andy didn't know you were a musician at this uh, point?
1: I think he, he knew vaguely because Lowell being Lowell uh, living in Bath had turned up when they were making the Big Express and And he'd actually gone to the studio and I think he'd had a meal with him and he was even invited to do some backing vocals. But backing vocals aren't really Lowell's thing. Um, And Lowell had kept bumping into Andy at various points because Swindon's not that far from Bath and Andy goes over to Bath quite a bit. And um, I think Lowell had presented Andy with... A copy of the the second cleaners from Venus cassette album uh, any normal Monday and Andy had listened to this over breakfast and declared himself to have been entertained by one or two of the tracks but really the difference there are many similarities between how XTC works and how how um, the cleaners from Venus used to work especially in our general English eccentricity etc yadi dar but musical accuracy and 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 pride in our work ain't one of them you know our job was let's have some fun knock the thing down you know and then Lola go out and get stoned and I'd go out and have a, a drink of Carlsberg Special Brew and you know I wasn't interested in kowtowing to the dictates of the industry really I just thought we're not doing this for anyone we're doing it for us and we started selling cassettes we became you know kind of popular by accident naturally not as popular as XTC but very much in what Andy would I suppose describe as a triangular way of doing things there were there were certain similarities we were provincial provincial lads and we didn't care what London said did or thought we didn't think it was the you know necessarily the best thing kowtowing to what the capital thought and what I think we were far more rebellious and
0: also it has to be said a lot more deviant you know so it was Kevin Crace who brought you guys to work together
1: Yes he did Because Kevin I met Kevin at um, I was doing a gig at the Marquee And I wasn't doing music I was doing poetry Because there was a Johnny Moped reunion gig And I didn't know Johnny Moped But Captain Sensible was involved in it And a couple of other people And I, and I met Kirsty McColl and her husband then Steve Lillywhite there The late Kirsty McColl there was all sorts of people there and we went back to a place called the Columbia Hotel which is a bit of a rock and roll hotel and a very nice place Bayswater I think it is and um, I met Kevin Crace at some point there he introduced himself and said he really likes the Brotherhood of Lizard stuff and he would like me to make an album for him I mean Kevin must take the credit for this and um, I have duly credited him with it And then somewhere, I said, sure, I'll make an album for you. And then he said, how would you like Andy Partridge to produce it for you? And I said, well, you know, kind of that English thing. Well, we haven't really been introduced, you know. (laughs) Well, We we have. we'd spoken on the phone and that, but... I said, look, he knows me as a poet. I don't know how much he knows about me as a musician, but he probably wouldn't think very much of me if he did. And I don't care anyway. But, yeah, I'd work with him because I like his ideas. And um, we eventually... I said, but you can organise it. And I said, where is it, He's He says, in Japan. I said, well, you phone him up. I'm not going to kind of thing, you know, if he, if he's up for it, I'll do it. And then, to my surprise, Andy was expressed an interest in doing it, so... Um, he, first thing he said was, "Can you send us some songs?" So I sent him what I regarded was about, I don't know, eighteen or twenty of my best songs. And he came back, and you know, the good news was, "Hey," he said, "Hey Martin, these these songs, some of them are really good. I reckon we've got about half an album here." And I was like, "Half an album? This is my best work, you know." But you know, I didn't say that. But I just thought, hmm. Someone who's not impressed with my genius, as 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 I obviously am, and so he said, he said, C- "Can you write some more?" And I went, "Right, I'll show him." This West Country blighter. So I, I dashed off another, you know, twelve or thirteen songs, sent them off, and he said, "Well, I reckon we got an album here." <laughs> so, here we cherry picked the songs we got, oh, except for one, we we were, we nearly did mind sweeping memory lane that was one of his choices to my amazement i'd just done uh, the cleanest thing number 13 so i presented him with a bunch of these things i thought man for our time would be a shoe-in i thought that's just the sort of thing he'd like but he didn't like it what he liked was um was mind sweeping memory lane and i suppose he would because that's the kind of wordplay he'd use as well Mind sweeping memory lane. I'm always mind sweeping memory lane. The same old ships going down again. You know I, that probably there would be a similarity there, um, but we didn't do it because he said we. we right at the end, when we were at the end of making the album, he said, "Have you got another song?" And I said, "I played him a bit of Straight to You, boy." And he said, "I said it hasn't got um, a verse. I, I said, I've just got this great idea of the chorus," and he, he said, "Well." While I'm mixing the drums down, go in the kitchen and and write the other bit of it. Yeah, his kitchen this was. I went, well, yeah, all right. Because <laughs> I suppose a lot of people would have been daunted, but you know, this is just me and Andy. Just went, yeah, all right. And so I sat in the kitchen, dashed out some words, came up with a verse pat, and he said, yeah, that'll do. And so we did that. And there are some people, some dark-minded people, who think that's the best thing on the album. It it was certainly the one we made the least fuss over because it was the last thing we recorded, I think. And it involved a piano, what Andy called a Scout Hut drum kit, a sh- you know, some shakers. Uh, he made a couple of shakers out of fairy liquid bottles or something like that, and a, and a tambourine, and a bass note on a piano, which was something I think we, we nicked off George Martin, he was very fond of doing that on Hard Day's Night, period Beatles so we did that and so we just, and I put the echo on the piano because I like lots of reverb on a piano and we came across this sort of cleaners from Partridge type of finisher <laughs> I really like that track you know
0: So the songs you sent him, were they the songs you sent him originally, were they what uh, ended up on My Back Wages later on? Um well they ended up on my back wages my back
1: wages was just a, a bunch of stuff that you know I thought people long after The Greatest Living Englishman I thought maybe some people would be interested in the demos uh, what did I write after I knew I was making this album I think Green Gold Girl of the Summer was was a, a late entry uh, possibly The Greatest Living Yeah Greatest Living Englishman definitely was and so was We'll Build a House these were songs written specially for Andy because he wanted more songs
0: I noticed on the um, on your uh, Bandcamp page for My Back Wages it says uh, that you wrote those when you had the chicken pox in 1992.
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, there was a stack of stuff, there was something like, some ridiculous amount of songs I wrote. I got chicken pox for the second time as an adult someone said, look you better get to the doctor, this can be quite serious so I went to the doctor and the doctor said just, you know, I don't think the doctor even wanted to see me but he just said, look Unfortunately, it can be quite serious at your age. I think I was my mid-30s or something. You've got to stay in. You'll be contagious. I I just had to... I was gated. So I was locked in for... Basically, not locked in, but I didn't leave the house for three weeks. It was winter, so that was okay. I felt ill for a few days, feverish. But after a while, I was just bored. But I couldn't leave the... I stayed in, and I had Captain's 8-track recorder... And I recorded all the time, every day, day in, day out, until I was let out of the room. <laughs> so I wrote stacks of stuff. I think I wrote Arcadian, Boys, and all sorts of daft stuff. You know, Smash Your Watch, things like that. I just wrote, you know, I was writing one or two songs a day, you know, and then recording them for, for 18 days.
0: So let's talk about some of the songs on the record, um- Goodbye Dreaming Fields has always been one of my favourites on the record. Could you tell when you were making that 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 was the lead track?
1: No. Um, I, I brought, that was a real afterthought. That was, a, that was one of the newer ones. I'd had it hanging around for ages and I think I'd, you know, the album wasn't entirely written when we'd started working on it. And I said to Andy, oh, I've got this other song here. I said, it's not really demoed. Um, so I played it to him in the kitchen or something. He said, "That's not half bad. We should use that." And again, I had to finish the lyrics. Uh, I don't think we reali- i don't think I realized what I'd got there. He liked that. I thought that is a very typical Brotherhood of Lizards, Cleaners from Venus type song. It's almost like gone into self-parody. But he heard something in it that I didn't hear. And so we recorded it, and it did come out very well, and it became the first track.
0: I know you're very fond of the She Rings the Changes demo. You once told me you thought it was even more powerful than what ended up on the album.
1: It was, in a way. There was, I think, were, you know, there were a few things. One real, real thing about me working with Andy was this. When, I, when before we started work, he said to me, um, I'm like somewhere between Santa Claus. No, Mussolini and Santa Claus, that's what he said. And, and he likes to crack the whip. And I thought, well, that's fair enough. So, you know, you be the chief and I'll be the Indians. And I said, I will do what you tell me. Uh, because that's your job and this is my job. And, and um, you know, it was just country logic there. And I said, I might just hold out for one or two vetoes. And there was one where, um, I think it was on rings the Changes, where it would normally go to a D and he said, uh, you know, you could put a... A diminished chord in there on a second fret and i thought yeah i could do that but that's not the sort of thing i do that was one of the few things i held out for it he said and he said why is that i said that's something you'd do and i said in all my rashness and temerity i said but we aren't making an andy park we're not making an xtc album we're making a martin new album, album and he said that's fair enough yeah okay leave it you know, I, I never found him difficult going. I, um, various people said I was going to find him difficult. There'd be an ego clash. I never found that because I just thought, look, you're the producer, I'm the artist. You're the chief. I'm the Indians. Let's let's do this. And I just trusted him. You know, I put my foot out into into thin air and hoped there'd be a you know a rung there to climb up, and there was usually. And he was actually not hard on me Uh, he was was exacting but he wasn't cruel he could see if I was getting tired because he has the hearing of a bat things that I would have left just where it's yeah one of the backing vocals is slightly flat but we can cover it up in the mix he made me go back and do it again six, seven, eight, nine times till we got it right and uh, sometimes my brain would be aching from it and he'd say he'd just say to me like an uncle or a best mate he'd just say I'll tell you what, you're getting tired, aren't you? Why don't I make you a cup of tea? We'll have a biscuit and think about this. And, and that's what he was like. I, he was fabulous to work with.
0: So XTC were basically, well, they were on strike to their label at this point, right? They were. What
1: I think the expression he uses in his usual elegant way was they were a ship trapped in ice. That's, he did actually write a song of that name. But they, they, they like all good British workmen, they went on strike and I couldn't blame them. And, you know, Virgin said, well, you owe us money. And when they eventually sent the auditors in, which was a very smart thing to do, and one of the few tricks I i came back from with Andy, it was um, he said, you know, the auditors went in and said, no, sorry, mate, you owe XTC money. But the fact of the matter is... They were a ship trapped in ice for five years and it did kind of stymie their career a a bit. Well, that and the fact that, like me, Andy's not overly fond of touring.
0: Why is Dave Gregory uh, credited as pop mastermind?
1: Well, I was astonished when I met Dave. He was, you know, he was a really nice guy and um, a rather gentle soul, but he knew just an insane amount about the minutiae of pop. You know, if you had him on, you know, if you had him on a quiz team in a pub for a pop quiz, you'd, you'd have the team, basically. He knows too much. He's a man who knows too much. He should be killed, really, for how much he knows about pop. <laughs> Especially 60s pop. It's ridiculous. You know, Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch B-Sides, stuff like that. That's what he knows. <laughs> it's dangerous, I tell
0: you. Was he involved uh, while you are making the record at all?
1: No, he wasn't, actually. Um but he did used to pop round, and it rained rather a lot there. I've said this in the sleeve notes. But it rained rather a lot, so one abiding memory I have is of of Dave Gregory coming round with his you know dripping umbrella and his sensible raincoat on, and shaking his umbrella and coming in, listening to what we got.
0: Sam, so yeah, more about individual songs. Uh, what inspired you to write a Christmas song? Oh, the Christmas song was one of the things that came
1: ready-made that was probably one of the earliest ones i sent and i didn't know this at the time but andy loves christmas andy loves christmas like a like a, a little boy or like chris evans loved christmas you know he's you know he's there kind of like at the beginning of october saying oh, i love christmas me you know he's not i think he just likes everything about christmas and and uh so we've got to do a christmas song uh and you know there was i i did have to that was quite over the top. I probably wouldn't have had the rinky-dink piano on that, but he did a fabulous job on the on the drums and the bass and everything. Uh, and the backing vocals, they sounded really good too. He knows how to make a pop record. And I love the drumming. I love, I love Andy's drumming. I, I didn't know this about Andy, but I seem to remember telling me that drums was the first thing he did, that he was a drummer first, or he had been a drummer at some point. Because he certainly knows his drums and he he knows drums like kind of beat group Ringo Starr type drumming, which, of course, is the drumming that I love. So I I didn't
0: argue with any of that. So Jangling Man, I mean, that's one of your nicknames, Mr. Jangle.
1: Well, that was written, yeah, because, um, uh, yeah, Sensible calls me that, Captain Sensible calls me that. That, the song, that was written because it was the poll tax riot. I wrote that right about the time of the poll tax riot. Uh, the Brotherhood of lizards is broken, broken up. And I was just thinking, you know, it looks like I might be becoming a gardener. I'm just, you know, one of these poor people that, that the government at the time in this country had just said, well, we've taxed everybody, so why don't we tax the working poor as well? You know, and I just thought, you know, I was that poor. i have never signed on or taken what you would call welfare in America or what we would call signing on here. But I just thought, I'm making enough money to just about pay for my own revolution. You know, if I brew my own beer and don't eat too much and, and cycle everywhere. But if they take another 30 quid a month off me, which was a substantial amount then, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to be walking around in rags. It's going to be like the Edwardian crisis over again, you know. And, um, of course, yeah, it was a bridge too far. And the quiet and generally moony, not rioty British people suddenly got up and had this massive great riot in many cities and many towns. And what do you know? Nine months later or less, no, six months later, they marched Mrs... Thatcher off down the corridor she'd she'd just taken it too far and and John Major came in who's another Tory and fairly classic you know old money Tory really and and, uh, you know he seemed like Santa Claus after her you know I think everyone just wanted rid she you know she was just taking it too far I think you know I'm not a very political person or anything but I was out there you know you know protesting and you know you know I didn't smash anything but I I was out there with the crowd not in London in Colchester
0: uh, so tell me about getting Captain Sensible into uh, play the that awesome guitar solo on Green Gold Girl of the Summer
1: Captain Sensible is is um as Robert Fripp of King Crimson will tell you he's just a a great guitarist and even then I mean people know now he's played a lot more gigs and done the Albert Hall but trying to tell people that this punk guitarist could be like Hendrix on a good night, or Carlos Santana on another night. He's so many different guitarists. He, I mean, he's brilliant. He's got, you know, a real... He's very disciplined and simultaneously capable of of, of great fire. And, um, you know, well, he was a, a, a busy mate of mine at the time, so I said, oh, could you come do a solo? And then he suddenly rang up one day and said, I'm doing a gig in Bristol with The Damned. Uh, Bristol was not too far from Bath I'll be there And he he arrived on a Friday morning Pissing with rain as usual in Swindon And um, And turned up with his hangover And and did these two blistering solos Which Andy kind of married them together You know And and that's what you got A lot of people really like that I mean it's completely over the top
0: So when the album came out It did very well especially in america
1: it did do well in america from a standing start with no promotion or no none from this end i mean i did not go out sort of standing on monitors and shouting
0: all right you
1: know you know and all the (laughs) stuff that rock stars are supposed to do and um i think what happened was you know the the english rock press those few who'd heard of me were, were slightly miffy about it someone in one of the you know the important mag said Well, this is an. Album. We're doing a review, so this is now my Martin Gill, who somehow unaccountably has done very well in America with this, you know, kind of like without our say so or recommendation. You know, the English rock press. Like I care, you know. I I, I didn't. I I just I don't encu- I don't send review copies out anyone to what's left of the rock press anyway. Why send free records to people who can't even write as well as me, let alone you know play music or make records you know i'm not interested in the fuckers i don't care if they review me or not i don't even care if i don't sell any records you know they've never helped me i'm 65 they can all fuck off
0: <laughs> so the year after this came out you toured japan with dave gregory and captain sensible and yeah
1: that was a great band that was the tour band then yeah um you know, I, I was well out of touring by that. I was forty years old by that time, I think. Yeah, about. And I didn't want to go touring, but but they said we've got you a band, and I said, oh yeah, right. You know, what is it tired old session and They Said no, it's all your mates, and they'd phoned up people that I knew personally who I liked. And said, do you want, Would you go out and play and Martin's back in Martin's backing band?" And, you know, so I had Gary from the Damned, Captain Sensible from the Damned, Nelson, my old mucker from Colchester, who'd been uh, who'd been in the Cleaners from Venus with me and the Brotherhood of Lizards, Captain Sensible, Dave Gregory. You know, I mean, uh, you know, and they said, and all these guys want to go out and do this tour, and you, you know, and I just thought, right. So we went out to France, and I think we did Germany, and we did Japan, and. Um I just thought, well great, now you found me a band that I'm not worthy of. <laughs> I you know, I, I I think my touring days were over by the time I was about twenty seven. I gigged, I did lots and lots of gigs between the ages of twenty and twenty six, twenty seven. I did nothing but gigs. And and um I would have been a really great act then. But by the time I got to forty I was thinking really you want me to go and caper around in front of a bunch of uh you know 20 year old japanese girls and things like that is this really what's required but i just thought look they've been nice enough to organize this i better do it
0: yeah so let's move on to what's going on with you lately you've been working with capture tracks since 2012 and soft bodies since 2014 well how it's panning out at the moment is uh yeah they're quite impressive
1: um I have a kind of rolling uh, licensing deal with them. I didn't sign with them as a. I haven't signed with them as a full-time artist, but nominally I'm a current artist as well as their uh, as well as a re-release artist now. Uh, we 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 mutually decided we liked each other, and that we'd you know don't bother to wrap it. We'll take each other home, kind of thing. And I do get on with them very well. They're a very refreshing young company. I get on with them very well. Uh, the very newest stuff, my newest stuff altogether, I'm, I think they're a little bit cherry of that, which they would be. So what happens now is I've set up my own. Basically, it's like back to the old cleaners day. I make these little short run al- albums, and I think what will happen as they as they get older is, you know, we'll cherry pick a best of, like we did with Tea Time Assortment, which was a best of new Newell that came out a couple of couple of three years ago I think that's done all right so any anytime they want to cherry pick tracks that seem to be popular but I'm I've got a star cafe coming out in April
0: yes let's talk about star cafe what inspired you to make the record
1: star cafe I wanted to write a musical I wanted to write a, a lo-fi indie DIY lo-fi musical right so Um, that's what I did and I just set to it I didn't want any big production numbers I wanted an indie music that could be an indie musical that could be formed on a budget in a cafe because I am pig sick of hearing people's lazy jukebox musicals like we get all the songs of Queen or Abba or or some 60s band and then we wrap them up in a tenuous storyline stick a band on stage I mean I know it's worked one thing it's worked really well with is the Kinks one you know i I can't even remember what it's called, but everyone says good things about that but i didn't want to do that i wanted to write a new one because if we as i'm always saying if you if you gorge yourself on the past you won't leave any room for the future so i wanted to write a a nice cheap low budget cleaners from venus type low-key indie rock musical and that's what i've done and i think captured tracks probably say well let's see how it's going and I thought well I could release a limited thing CD and if people really bite then then we can have it out so I wrote this thing and we'll bring it out in April I'll press up a few CDs because some people like CDs Um, and we'll we'll do I've got all the downloads covered so we can do the downloads and streaming on it so basically if, if it does really come up in a watch and people really like it or it grows a, a reputation capture tracks get the boast of both worlds because the artist has diy tested it you know so they, you know it's no skin off their nose so what's the story it tells it's cinderella basically or indirella as i like to call it <laughs> um it's it's it tells us it tells a story in a world of um I, what I call a national karaoke, you know, Simon Cowell and all that stuff. You know, the the, the search for star that that there's a a, a young, intelligent, you know, gamine. You're not even sure. You know, it's it's an LGB w- world. You know, you're not even sure. You know how she's oriented, but she's a she's an indie songwriter and she's a good songwriter, and she's got an old wreck of a of a granddad called Ronnie. Guess who he's based on? you know and um and he hangs around the cafe and he he had a band in the in the in the late 60s and he's a friend of hers and then there's a a boy who works in a cafe then she's got a stepmum and two sisters and the and the mum the stepmum had a couple of hits in the 80s and then she's got a dad and the dad the dad is a really cheerful guy but he's Mr 80s you know he just likes money and cafes and music and he thinks that the Kind of the big talent shows are a really good thing. And so the girls want to be on the talent show. And eventually this young girl is persuaded. She's very much the Cinderella figure to go for the talent show at the behest of her granddad and the guy who works in a cafe. No one thinks she's going to win it. And she doesn't win it. But she has the best song. And eventually... The charming boy, who is Prince Charming basically, who's a Bowie or a Prince or something like that, comes in and sweeps her up and said, and just says, "Look, this is Dross. I will take you out of this world. Let's get out of here." You know, you know, sod the, you know, the talent competition and the kind of values they have. Frankly, I think Simon Cowell and his talent competitions are a very good thing. You know, because it doesn't involve any. Um, it doesn't involve any. you know they should just put a big thing saying at the bottom saying no artists were hurt uh in the making of this money program i mean (laughs) and um because he just goes around and picks people straight from the call centers to imitate people who are already famous and some of whom shouldn't be in my opinion but that's just a matter of taste and age i suppose Uh, um (laughs) But, you know, you in the old days, someone like Simon Cowell would have been pestering people like me, you know, making us have the right haircuts and, and having special drinky dink little songs written for us when we had perfectly good songs of our own. Yeah, he was the kind of mover and shaker. So Simon Cowell is doing the music world a big favour. He's, he's keeping his nose out of the interesting stuff and just picking, you know, people from real life to try and imitate songwriters, I guess. So I I see him as a very good thing you know because he's he's kind of he's he's acting as a filter process he's keeping the androids out of pop <laughs> I'd probably be regarded as executable for that in certain courses but then do I give a fuck no
0: Yeah we we've often talked about how there's very few people who write great timeless songs anymore so how how do you feel about the state of music these days besides all the Simon Collins stuff
1: Well um I'm just trying to write songs. I think that... Excuse me, I'm just pouring a uh, cider here. Um, I think a song is a song is a song, and I'm still struggling with the form, you know, to write a song that people will like, that has a touch of humanity about it. And I'm very interested in torch songs, and the kind of thing I go back to, you know, there's a bunch of people of my age, and what they do is, when they finish their jobs with a civil service or running law practices or something, they they grow their hair a bit and what's left of it and then they put on some baggy jeans or some dungarees then they go out and buy a very expensive guitar and and they tell they say they're going back to their roots and by that they mean they're playing black american blues you know or something when they're actually middle class english civil servants who've just retired and um which is interesting because i don't think of the blues as my roots i'm you know, I'm aware of what the blues heritage is, but it doesn't have much to do with me. My, my roots were pop songs, you know, I, I think really I'm more interested in the carpenters or Gilbert O'Sullivan or something like that. I like a good song. There's no point in me trying to, trying to write a song about, you know, my, my, my woman's, you know, left me, you know, and she was got something terrible and she's gone down St. James infirmary. And, um, Frankly, you know, I'm taking too many drugs and drinking too much, and, and uh, you know, I, and my parents were both picking cotton because th- that's not true of me. Actually, I come from a, an English suburb, so I try and write songs about that.
0: <laughs> so, what song came first for uh, Stark FA? Um, the first one. The first one that's on there.
1: I wrote this, and, and it's a funny thing that because I, I actually wrote it in the hope that my very good friend and colleague um james hunter who you might know of in america you would know him in america because he's a he's a, an r&b singer and he works with van morrison sometimes but he's a great songwriter and he's got this amazing voice uh, look him up um james hunter six you might find him under that name but they they were nominated for a grammy a couple of years ago for the best you know he he really does he really does work in uh, in the R&B arena you know and he's very very good at it you know but i i wanted to write him a song because what he likes is stuff i kind of from the late 50s to early 60s that's where his his chief mojo lies i reckon and i wanted to see if I could write him something and I wrote him this song and he said, I've, I've had a go at it a couple of times. You know, my dearest wishes that he would cover one of my songs, but I haven't done it yet. You know, I haven't been quite up to the standard. I'm going to have to write something like that Nat King Cole or Sam Cooke would write to be that good. So I wanted to see, could I write a song like Sam, Sam Cooke? And that was my go at writing a song like Sam Cooke. But that was the first one I wrote for Star Cafe. It's a simple song, you know.
0: I wanted to ask you about, you re-recorded Red Guitars and Silver Tambourines. Yeah, tell me about that song, that's always been one of my favourites. Well,
1: it was a long time ago, I wanted to write this kind of, uh, you know, song uh, that celebrated rock and roll pop, you know, something along the lines of, you know, those great old Phil Spector Brill building Ronettes songs, you know, something like Be My Baby, you know, you could see this the lineage of these songs in Bruce Springsteen's... Some of Bruce Springsteen's songs, Born to Run, Tom Petty. Everyone writes one, and I wanted to write my great sort of celebration of, of, of rock and roll. And the first time I did it, it was in a bit of a mess. So I did it again, and then it came out on, I don't know, My Back Wages, and that would... I didn't want that one put out. Then I had another go at it, and it still wasn't right. And then this time... I had another go at it and I scrapped that completely. And then this one came out. I was thinking, actually, I think this is as good as it's going to get because I was trying to make it so big and so epic. A kitchen synced it, basically. And I thought what it actually needs is just one really good guitar. And a, and, and you can have a choice between a guitar solo or some ooze. So I chose some ooze. <laughs> you know, I wanted everything. It's like a kid in a It's a... It's a it's a kid in a toy shop song, you know. Wow, there's a potential to put everything in this, but I thought, let's not have a guitar solo. Let's do my favourite standby. Put a Glockenspiel on it. So you're waiting for the big, screamy break to come in, and instead you get a Glockenspiel, or you get just get some ooze, and it underplays it so that the listener gets a little bit of a chance to think, you know, to think what they were put in there.
0: What about Taken to the Cleaners, the second part of the memoir, is that still coming? It's still there. I mean, it's, it, the, the
1: chapters are still there. Uh, it was soured for me somewhat by the whole experiences. I'd got into this thing where, you know, we were going to get the, pu- the book publicly funded. And quite early on in the process, two months in, I thought, I don't like this. This is not my normal condition. I've never taken the money before I did the work and all right, all right I had about half the work done but I thought it, it, it never felt right with me and, and the further we got in as as each day went in I thought I feel very uncomfortable with this is there any way we can give anyone, everyone their money back I don't want to do it and there was and they did and everyone got their money back I mean it probably made me look a bit of a, a fool but you know rather I'm, I'm, I was made a bit of a fool than you know I came up with an inferior product, or people got rooked or something like that i 'd have hated that
0: so are you planning on finishing it at some point?
1: Well, I will finish it, but I, what i 'll do is once I start writing because i, I 'm rather overfaced with writing i 've done a lot of writing uh, my life has changed a bit since my my eye or my eye tribulations, and when my when my eye eye was restored one of my eyes was restored it kind of made me think I want to go out and live my life just really simple look at things so I'm not think. I'm trying not to think too much about writing and I have no plans immediately for another book well, apart from a small travel travelogue about Essex but it's there it's never going to go away I mean you could probably if I you know if the bootleg Mark Chapman ever appeared at my door you know or something like that and um, shot me or something um You could find all the different chapters and probably hang them together and it would be a kind of... You know, it'd be quite a lot of that book in there. They're they're, they're all on my my computer. And some of them have even gone out to the internet. I mean, some of them have been published. You know, but I, I could tell the whole story, but I'm thinking at the moment, everyone and people who've got substantially... Well, if not less interesting stories, certainly... Less entertaining writers. Everyone's getting their 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 memoirs out at the moment, and I kind of don't want to be in that little undignified scramble, you know. Oh, me, me, me. You know I've got a really interesting story that I really can't tell very well because I haven't spent much time either reading books or writing stuff. <laughs> so I, I want to. I, I want a good book, you know, like Z, Ziggy was a good book, you know, because it was it was full of filth and venality and you know disgraceful teenage behavior and it really didn't pull many punches there was a few things i left out uh, because you know they were just too disgusting or shameful to to go in but mostly what you got was what happened and people liked it i mean it's still selling i'd rather wish i hadn't said some of the stuff i think i said too much yeah i just want to you know how bob dylan is on on tour for the rest of his life you know, that's what, it, that's what he said that. You know, I'm on tour for the rest of my life now, kind of thing. Um, which is fair enough. Well, I, I, I just like to think I'm, I'm kind of making an album for the rest of my life. Now I just want to keep on recording. And at home. And not interfered with by the record industry. You know? And I'm sorry if it doesn't come up to scratch. You know, if it was good enough for Mac DeMarco and Ariel Pink to lift, then I think it's good enough for the rest of the world. Because I keep hearing these things that I've been, you know, I, do you believe this? I get asked these questions, like, how does it feel being an influence on all these new young musicians? And I was like, what, where, who? And and apparently I have been. And I keep, and I keep going on, on YouTube and someone saying, oh, so-and-so has really ripped him off. Or such-and-such has stolen this. And I'm thinking, well I can't hear it But I'll tell you what I really do like What Mac DeMarco and Ariel Pink do I think, you know, it sounds nice to me It doesn't sound like me But it sounds really nice You know, know, I I, I listen to Mac DeMarco quite a lot Especially Viceroy, that's good Viceroy Something really nice and relaxed about his guitar playing He does some interesting stuff but I don't think it sounds like me. I just think it sounds good.
0: And there we go. If you're looking for where to start with Martin's work, I would highly recommend Midnight Cleaners, Living with Victoria Gray, and Going to England. Also, more recent album, which is possibly my favorite, is Return to Bohemia. There's some great stuff on that. These are all under the Cleaners from Venus band name. Do check the website, www.thecounterforce.net. I'll be posting songs to listen to and links to pieces I've written about Martin. This was, I think, my fifth interview with him since 2012. Also, if you're interested, sign up for the mailing list on the website. I'm going to be sending out a weekly email of seven songs I'm currently digging. I always say that a great song is like that feeling you get when you first kiss someone you really fancy. So there'll be lots of those. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of the Counterforce podcast. I've got some cool stuff planned for future episodes, so please do subscribe. Thank you for listening, and I'm going to leave you with one of my favorites by Martin. We talked about it earlier, a song that perfectly captures the youthful spirit of pop and that wondrous feeling we get from it. Red guitars and silver tambourines.